0: A trigger warning this podcast references addiction, self harm, and sexual abuse. Welcome to This Is Me. My name is Siobhan. We all know someone with a battle. This weekly podcast is where I talk with everyday Australians as they share their life changing moments. Some of these stories are sad, but all of them are inspiring. This week we hear Kerry's story.
1: Hi, I'm Carrie Atherton. I'm a mum, a wife, a nanny, and I am a recovering alcoholic.
0: There's some stains on your photo. They all cracks on your rusty frame.
1: I grew up in Lane Cove on River Road and River Road was a four-laned highway. It was a An absolutely wonderful place, but it did become a haven of terror for me. There was many happy moments, but there was also a lot of trauma and a lot of sadness in my childhood because both my parents were alcoholics. My dad was a recovering alcoholic and had been sober since before I was born, but my mum drank till I was 12. Did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have two younger brothers. When I was 14 months, my first brother came along and then when I was three, my second brother came along.
0: Would you say there were happy times? Yep, lots
1: of happy times. My dad was a musician. He worked Friday and Saturday nights and when he would come home, my dad and my brothers and I would stay up and we would eat chocolate monties and have hot chocolate. But my mum was often in bed. I know now that it was probably because she was drunk. But whenever I'd asked dad where mum was, he said that she had a headache. He used to bet on the horses all the time. And when he'd win, we'd go as a family to the local Chinese restaurant. And Sunday nights actually was a really exciting time because if he had won on the weekend, he would buy Jaffa's and chocolate and he'd split it up into three so me and my brothers didn't fight. And we would sit by the television together and watch. I can't even remember what we watched then, but that was some of the happy times.
0: Do you miss him? Peter? Yeah. A little bit never saw much of You didn't see your mum much in the evening? She
1: did work so I think she was what we call a functioning alcoholic at that time. She'd drop us off at school and then she was always there when we got home so I remember lots of times she used to make our clothes and she would do a lot of baking and stuff like that and she sold Tupperware and she did Artex and I remember her teaching me how to crochet and things like that but I can't remember much about her being around after dad got home there was many times when my dad told me as an adult that he would go off to work and he didn't know if me and my brothers and my mum would be alive when he got home why because my mum had manic depression and she often felt suicidal and really depressed and i can remember there were times when he'd come home from work and mum would take off and then he'd put us in the car and we would drive around border fronts looking for her. So I grew up with a real sense of insecurity and not being able to predict the atmosphere or what was going to happen next. And I feel that back then I took on a real sense of responsibility as a young child to help look after my brothers I remember one day that I'd been out riding my bike around the corner and I must have been six or seven and I came home and Mum was just sitting at the kitchen bench crying and I looked down and there was, like, blood everywhere and she'd almost cut her finger off. Those are the types of things that I remember and then I had to go into full flight, I felt, to try and fix her and then make sure my brothers were OK. And Did your father
0: fear that she might... Injure you and your brothers?
1: He never said that. I think maybe my mum had postnatal depression, which I also went through myself. But my mum really loved us, but I don't remember her being a very nurturing mum. I got most of my nurturing from my dad, I felt.
0: And you mentioned to me before we started this interview about a time when you were was it seven years of age. Yeah. And your mother got electrocuted?
1: Yeah. I was at home and I remember wanting to wear my favourite purple dress. I walked into the laundry to ask Mum where my dress was and I just heard her scream and I just saw her attached to the washing machine just shaking violently. My brothers must have been home because I remember us running into the lounge room and just jumping up and down huddled together. We got taken to the neighbours and I thought I'd never see my mum again. It wasn't until many years later when I was having a discussion with her about near-death experiences that she told me that she had actually died that day and her whole life flashed before her eyes and she was being walked through a park and a man was holding her hand and she said it was the most beautiful park that she'd ever seen in her life before. And she got asked if she would come with him if she would go with him and she said no I have to go back because I have three small children. Fortunately I did see my mum again. At that age I had a terrible fear of death.
0: Are you comfortable talking about what happened when you were nine years of age?
1: We went to Port Macquarie and I was really excited about going on this holiday and it was raining there It was my brother's birthday the next day. He was going to be turning eight and I was standing in the carport looking on the notice board to see what we could do for his birthday because I wanted to make it really special. And I think it was the day before when we'd arrived at the caravan park, I was swinging on a set of swings and... This girl that I'd met, you know how when you go to holiday parks and you meet children and all of a sudden they're like your best friend? This girl said, I want to introduce you to someone. And she said, oh, Max, this is my best friend Kerry. And the hairs on the back of my neck stood up when I saw this this guy who I think was in his early 20s. And I said, no, I don't want to meet him. And I quickly left that situation. And I think it was the next day that I was standing in the carport and I just felt this presence behind me and I turned around and he was standing kind of over me. He um, was obviously a pedophile Mm -hmm. who uh, tried to um, touch me up and get me to um, touch him and it was a horrifying experience because I was a little nine-year-old girl just trapped and frozen in that spot. I think someone must have come along or he must have heard a noise because I remember going straight into my cabin where my mum and dad were, which was right next door, and I told them what had happened to me and they took me to the police. They basically said to mum and dad, we wouldn't advise that you press charges because your daughter's too young and it's too traumatic for her to have to keep reliving this experience so just take her home and forget all about it. I wouldn't open the windows, I'd look under my bed as soon as I got home, I'd check in the cupboards. I became compulsive, obsessive about um, just making sure that nobody was anywhere. I would just lie in bed and I'd just feel my heart just like thumping when I was trying to go to sleep.
0: Shocking memories. How was the remainder of your childhood after that?
1: That event changed my life forever. I no longer felt safe. I'd never had fear like that before. Feeling like someone was going to come and get me in my own room. I had no feeling of safety in my own home ever again. I had a breakdown when I was 10. And my mum came in and found me underneath the bed, curled up in a ball, and I was just, I couldn't stop crying. And she just held me, looking back now, you know, it makes me really sad. They took me to a psychiatrist and put me on anti-anxiety medication and antidepressants. And my mum and dad told me when I was a teenager that they think that that was the best thing for me because they felt that if I hadn't been put on medication that I would have taken my own life when I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. I felt like the pills really helped me to get through my childhood and into my tweens. They took the edge off the anxiety and they took the edge off the depression and I just felt like I had some sense of normal in the midst of a lot of abnormality and a lot of insecurity. I didn't have a lot of friends. I just felt different my whole life. Children of alcoholics, they carry secrets. So I knew my mum was an alcoholic. I knew that something wasn't right. We didn't have friends over. And I think that a lot of kids of alcoholics carry shame across their forehead. They don't know what they're carrying the shame for, but they are carrying a veil of shame. And when you carry shame, you can't really be yourself. You can't really form close connections. I didn't, really have a perception of alcohol until I was 11 and a half and my mum and dad took me to an Alateen meeting. Alateen's for children of alcoholics. I remember that night so clearly because there was a young guy who was up sharing the story about his parents and I think it was his mother that was drinking. And a lot of the behaviours that he was describing and things that went on in his family, for the first time in my life I sat there and I felt like I wasn't alone. I started to hear a lot of stories about alcohol as these kids would share in Alatine. And to be honest with you, it fascinated me to hear what alcohol did to people even though it was very damaging to a lot of families. Um, my young mind probably couldn't really get its head around how damaging mm-hmm. at that time and so when I was 15 I had an opportunity to try alcohol for the first time and I tried it out of curiosity because I wanted to know if it really was like all the stories I'd heard at Alcoholics Anonymous about you have one drink and you can't stop and all that type of stuff that I used to hear.
0: What was your first drink?
1: My first drink was a cask of wine.
0: Oh, not just a glass. (laughs) A cask. Wow.
1: In typical alcoholic fashion. I threw up everywhere, but the effect was amazing. For the first time in my life, I felt normal. And I thought, I'm going to be fine because alcohol is going to be the very thing that's going to help me get through life now. Every time I set out to try and have one drink, I would end up
0: paralytic. Is this at 15 years of age? Were you drinking with friends or was it still by yourself?
1: By myself and then I had a girlfriend and I'd drink with her and then I got a boyfriend a couple of months after that. So I totally changed over this period of about six weeks. I went from being this totally introverted nerd to this rebellious, extroverted, obnoxious teenager Did your
0: parents see this change?
1: Yeah, they did. And my relationship with my parents was really damaged quickly. And everywhere I turned, everyone told me I had a problem with drinking. And I'd only been drinking a few months and I was 16
0: then. Well, you were underage as well.
1: Yeah, it just became a succession of drinking as much as possible, And the hangovers became worse and worse. Um, The relationships that I got into became worse and worse. They became more abusive. I hated myself. And because I hated myself, I attracted people who had no value for me either. I just thought I was totally worthless and I didn't deserve to have anybody of value
0: why would you think that?
1: I think that being sexually molested when I was younger, something sets in when that happens. And I'm a counsellor now, I've been a counsellor for many years and I've counselled countless people. Uh, So many people that suffer from alcoholism and drug addiction I know um, have been victims of sexual assault in their childhood. And something that you hear so often is this message that is sent to a child is that you're damaged goods. And I believed I was damaged goods back then because that happened to me when
0: I was nine. Did you find yourself in any situation like that again?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, I was um, treated very badly by a couple of boyfriends and then when I was 17, I met a guy who I thought was different to the others and we went out on um, a date and he bought a bottle of wine and I had been drinking that night and he told me what he was going to do to me later on and I said, no, you're not. And I said, I want you to drive me home, please, after we went to the drive-in.
0: What do you mean, do to you?
1: He said that he was going to um, drive me to the university um, at North Ride and then um, rip my clothes off and rape me. And I actually couldn't believe what I was hearing. I thought this has got to be some kind of a sick joke. Surely someone couldn't be that sick to say something like that. So we started to drive home and we weren't going near my house at all and my heart sank and then that's exactly what happened and I was totally defenceless that night and I cried all the way home and then he dropped me off, fortunately he dropped me off outside my front door but opened the door and just said now get out and it was just like I was a worthless piece of human garbage. I've carried anger, um, shame from that incident almost my whole life. I think I only dealt with that rape probably about maybe four years ago and it was because there was no justice. I never told anyone. Because I was so ashamed of what had happened. I remember coming home and getting in the shower and just like scrubbing myself. And I've heard victims of sexual assault say that before. It's like you're just trying to get all the germs off, you know, to make yourself feel clean. I was drunk. So would anyone believe me? Would they say it was my fault? I hit rock bottom. I was just shattered. I I was done. I had no hope. I was totally hopeless. And I decided that the only thing to do was to end my life. Alcohol didn't work anymore. Pills didn't work anymore. I just kept attracting the most horrible relationships and... I'd fractured my relationship with my family and I just felt like I can't go on. I just have nothing left. That day I heard a loud voice which I believed to be the voice of God say don't do it, if you hang on a bit longer you'll find happiness one day. And I was just stopped in my tracks and I rang up Alcoholics Anonymous and I went to a meeting that night And I knew that that was my last stop. If Alcoholics Anonymous didn't work, I was checking out. But it did, and I haven't had a drink since that day, and that's been 38 years. The night that I attended that Alcoholics Anonymous meeting was the night that I found life again. I knew that I had no other options, that it was death or sobriety and i knew that if i wanted to live to see my 21st birthday that i could never drink or take pills again the first step in alcoholics anonymous is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable in that room were living breathing miracles people who had done the journey as i'd done the journey people who had gone a lot further than me in the journey and They were all sober, and I knew that if they could do it, that I could too. They were living proof that hope was possible.
0: So moving ahead in your life, things have changed.
1: Yeah. Life now is amazing. I've been in the same relationship with my hubby now for 35 years. My husband's the kind of person that I always wanted to end up with, but I never thought that I deserved. But fortunately, he saw something amazing in me, and he chose me.
0: And you've had children?
1: Yeah, two amazing children. And the cycle of alcoholism has been broken, which I think is incredible, because both my grandparents died from alcoholism and pill addiction my dad's mum overdosed at 45 and his dad died at 50 and then my mum and dad were alcoholics and then me and both my amazing children they're incredible humans they're both married three months after my daughter got married she fell pregnant and yeah and those granddaughters have been the lights of my life. My desire, because I've been through so many different things, is to carry the message of hope to every single person out there that's suffering not just from alcoholism but from trauma of any kind. Everybody has skeletons in the closet. It doesn't matter what anybody looks like or whether you think anybody else has got it all together, that everybody struggles in their mind in some way with some fear with some self-perception. In order to have healthy relationships with people, we need to first have a healthy relationship with ourself. And that starts with self-love.
0: stay. MUNYA is a Brisbane centre for the Salvation Army Bridge Program. They provide treatment for alcohol, drug and gambling addictions. They have a detoxification unit and over 30 long-term rehabilitation programs offered. The program assists clients to deal with the causes of their addictions. You can get in touch with them at salvationarmy.org.au.